The Guardian. Post Office Network. Order. Question to the Prime Minister. Norman Baker. Number one, Mr Speaker. I've been asked to reply. As the House will be aware, my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, is today at the G8 summit in Japan. Uh, Mr Speaker, we know a third runway at Heathrow will be very damaging for the local environment and drive an aeroplane to the government's carbon reduction targets. But has she also seen the comments, has she also seen the comments of Bob Ayling, the Chief Executive, former Chief Executive of British Airways, who said that, quote, a third runway at Heathrow is against Britain's economic interests and is likely to prove a costly mistake? When is the government going to put the public interest first and stop behaving like a wholly owned subsidiary of BAA? I think the government is going to put both the economic interests of this country first and the question of tackling climate change. He will know that we are consulting on the question of Heathrow and considering a great deal of evidence and we will not make our decision until we have finalised our and satisfied by the question of the sustainability of the runway. The government has a proud record for compensating miners who suffered as a result of their time in the pits. But does my right honourable friend share my alarm that the Vibration White Finger Group 3 scheme automatically assumes that claimants, often elderly miners, have exaggerated the time they say they spent using vibratory tools, cuts those hours in half, rejects the claim? Isn't that an appalling abuse? Isn't that age discrimination of the worst kind? And what's the government going to do to put it right? The government have done a great deal to compensate those who, just by going to work, have suffered horrific industry in, in, uh, injury and disease at their workplace. Um, we've made important steps forward on Vibration White Finger, and I will look into the point he raises, but I know that he will agree with me that it's very important that today the government has issued their consultation paper on how we compensate those who've suffered from plural plaques. William Higg. Mr. Speaker, given the turbulence in the financial sector, my Honourable Friend, the Shadow Chancellor, proposed last year, and the Chancellor has since agreed, that the amount of people's bank savings protected by the government should rise from 35 to 50,000 pounds, and also that the system for paying out should be simpler and faster. Can the Leader of the House confirm when the government intends to legislate to give effect to this? He would have seen that there is in the uh, Queen's speech uh, programme, the draft legislative programme, a measure to ensure financial stability. And at any time, we are keeping under close review, ensuring that we keep the economy on track. And that is why, and that is why, and that is why, that is why, although the economic situation is tough, and though it threatens to get tougher, we will see the country through this difficult economic situation. Uh, the Chancellor did say on the 1st of October last year that we will legislate in the forthcoming session to implement, and that is this session, to implement the new regime. And given the approach of an 11-week recess, would it not be prudent and reassuring to expedite this particular aspect of the legislation, specifically concerned with deposit insurance, and pass it into law as soon as possible? Since there is cross-party agreement on the need for this measure, would the government respond positively to an offer of help from the opposition to ensure it passes through Parliament before the summer recess? Of course, all offers of help from the opposition to get through our legislation um, are very welcome. And of course, 
Um, he was when he was in the uh, he was in the cabinet under the previous Conservative government. So perhaps he knows a bit about the economy, and perhaps he will remember that when he was in the cabinet. Let the honourable lady speak. Mr. Speaker, since he is offering our side economic advice, perhaps I can remind him that when he was in the Cabinet, was unemployment higher or lower than it is now? Higher. Was, were interest rates higher or lower than they are now? And was debt higher or lower than it was so I think we'll have help with our legislation from him, but we can manage without his advice. Well, Mr Speaker, it's a great pity that she can't answer on this particular point. If she wants to be Prime Minister, she'd better start acting like one. <laughs> Will she at least... Since, since she says it is welcome, she says the offer of support from the opposition is welcome. Will she at least undertake to consult her colleagues, the Chancellor and the Prime Minister when he comes back from the G8, and come back tomorrow with a full and considered response that takes into account the instability of the financial markets, the length of the recess, the widespread agreement that something needs to be done, and the duty of the government to reassure and protect the public? Of course I will consult my colleagues, and of course the government will bring forward the necessary legislation. But when it comes to the question of manoeuvring, Mr Speaker, I want to know why once again he has manoeuvred his honourable friend out of her job of answering the questions. Now, last time I offered her some advice uh, which clearly didn't work. This time my suggestion is that she should give up on the Tory party go across Lambeth Bridge to Lambeth Palace and apply to become a bishop. Will my right honourable friend join me in thanking the hard-working staff of the Great Western Hospital in Swindon who have used extra funding from the government to cut C. difficile cases to well below target and will she ensure that the matrons throughout the country have the resources to keep the NHS sparkling in its 60th anniversary year? I congratulate the staff at Great Western Hospital and throughout the National Health Service in tackling hospital-acquired infection. It's important work. And I think it's an opportunity on the 60th anniversary of the National Health Service to pay tribute to the entire staff team of the National Health Service who have get, kept it going even when it was under-resourced and struggling, and to pay tribute, too, to their work under the leadership of Aradazi, 2,000 clinicians have been involved in shaping a consultation paper for the way forward, and I hope that all staff in the NHS, not only can we thank them for their work, but invite them to help us shape the way forward for the future for the NHS. Vincent Cable. Uh, the severity of the crisis in the housing industry, uh, where leading private house builders are going bust, sacking 40% of their workers and dragging down the banks because they've got an excess of unsold private houses. 
Will the government therefore build up its sensible but pathetically small programme uh, for acquiring property and give genuine freedom to councils and housing associations to acquire property in order to let it out to the 1.7 million people in housing need and waiting? I would agree with the right honourable gentleman. The situation in the housing market is of grave cause for concern. And that is why the government has taken action and will take more. That's why we've ensured that the Bank of England have £50 billion to help with the situation of liquidity. That's why we're building more social homes. That's why we're actually giving £200 million to the housing corporation so that they can buy houses which have been built but which haven't been able to be sold. And that's why, too, we're helping first-time buyers uh, by reducing the stamp duty. But I think he would agree with me that the most important thing for housing for the future is that people can stay in their jobs, that unemployment remains high and that inflation and interest rates remain low. And that's what we'll intend to do. Yes, I acknowledge that the Housing Corporation proposal is a good one, but it's a drop in the ocean. Can't the government get its priorities right? And instead of the Prime Minister lecturing us on what we should eat for dinner and competing with the leader of the Conservative Party to be the country's weight watcher in chief. <laughs> could he instead could acknowledge that we've now got a very deep crisis in the British housing market, probably the worst in our lifetime, leading into a serious recession, and it's time the government accepted responsibility for dealing with it. I would agree that the situation is serious, but I would not agree with him that the situation is like it was in the 1990s. And he should acknowledge that it is important that we keep employment rates high, and it is important that we keep interest rates low. And I think that those who are working hard in the construction industry and in small and big businesses across the country, they don't want the official opposition or many, any members of the opposition to be at this point talking the economy down. Confidence is important. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that violent crime involving young people in London is one of the most important issues that confronts the capital? London MPs are contacting the Home Secretary asking her to take the initiative and bring communities across London together including young people, to discuss ways of solving this problem. They're doing this because of the woefully inadequate response from the Mayor for London. He was elected on a campaign that said that highlighted 23 deaths last year. What looks like a slick campaign now looks like a very sick campaign. Will she, as a fellow London MP, bring together the contact the Home Secretary to bring together communities across London to find a solution to this very important problem. My right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, will do exactly that. I think that we can all recognise there is a serious problem of more young people at ever younger ages carrying knives in the street. And it is particularly, as he said, a problem in London and in my constituency. And my constituents know that what is important is that we have the right laws, that they are toughly enforced, but beyond that also that we all work together, that we support parents and teachers and local communities and the local police. We have to tackle what we recognise is a growing and grave problem. Yeah.
millions of pensioners have chosen to collect their pensions through the card accounts at the post office. The contract for the card account must stay with the post office after 2010 and not be given to Paypoint or the banks. When government ministers are asked about this, they keep waffling on about commercial issues and legalities. But will the government please understand that the only organisation that has a rural and island network is the post office? Will the government stop the dithering, act decisively and give this contract to the post office? I think strict rules apply to public procurement, and rightly so. And as a government minister, I could not be expected to comment in the middle of a contract procurement. But I can say and remind the House that the Post Office say that they have put a very strong bid in uh, for the Post Office card account. But I would also remind him that this government has put in unprecedented sums of public money to support the Post Office network and will continue to do so. John Spiller, given the settled view of Parliament and the public that fox hunting should be banned, is my right honourable friend surprised that some are still suggesting they should try and overturn that ban? Can she reassure me that that is not the policy of this government? And in her reply, could she tempt the opposition spokesman to make clear what his party's policy is? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know the um, leader of the opposition wants to uh, repeal the ban on fox hunting. This House decided on a free vote that fox hunting was cruel and should be banned. Uh, I voted in favour of that and we all want to see it properly enforced. Uh, Mr Speaker, since the... um Since the Prime Minister's main message on the way to the G8 was indeed not to waste food, will the Leader of the House agree that it is important for government departments to set an example on these things as well? Yes, it is is important for government examples government departments to set an example. But I think that the Prime Minister, whoever he's looking to... uh, to for dietary advice, the last person he'd look to would be somebody who thinks that a good diet is 18 pints a day. Mr Speaker, none of that was ever wasted, I can assure him. Isn't it? But isn't it... uh, Isn't it astonishing? Isn't it astonishing, given the Prime Minister's comments, that expenditure at the Treasury, to take one department at random, on, uh, on hospitality, including food, over the period that the Prime Minister was Chancellor of the Exchequer, more than trebled? And isn't this a spectacular case of preaching one rule to the country and practising another behind the closed doors of government? No, I'm sure it's absolutely nothing of the sort. Then maybe she can agree with this. Isn't there something supremely ironic about being lectured about food waste by a Prime Minister who's passed his own sell-by date? (laughs) Isn't it yet another example, yet another example of treating people like fools, of preaching prudence but practising profligacy and waste? Isn't this why the whole country is so sick of the Prime Minister? And may I speak for the whole House when I wish her well in her campaign to be rid of him? gentlemen um, shouldn't um, underestimate the Prime Minister, who is a man man of true 
of true grit and determination who will see, who will see the country through the difficult circumstances. Um, and I thank him for his uh, kind comments uh, about myself, but I'm afraid it wouldn't be possible because there aren't enough airports in the country for all the men who'd want to flee the country. Getting <laughs> quiet. Thank, thank you, Mr. Speaker. In, uh, in 2020, it looks as though the Chinese economy will overtake the American economy. And yet, ironically, in Tokyo today, China is not represented in the G8. Given that the G8 may expand to the G14 or the G22, does it make sense, given we also have the OECD, for there to be a merger between the G8, 14, 22 and the OECD in the near future? I think the, uh, my honourable friend makes a very important point, uh, and as he knows, the Prime Minister is taking a leading part in these discussions in the D G8 today. Today in Japan, the G8 are talking uh, to more countries, including China, Brazil, South Africa, India and Mexico, as they look to widen the outreach of G8 policies across the world. And I think that this is an approach we can continue uh, to expect to continue in the future and in which the Prime Minister will take a lead. Martin Horwood. My constituency files, Mr Speaker, include two particular cases of serious crimes for which the victims deserve our sympathy and support. Will she ask the Prime Minister to look into those cases and in the process explain why when our prisons are full to bursting, the public finances are under pressure and others are being released early, that the, pr the two prisoners in those cases are set to join more than 700 others on indeterminate prison sentences who are serving more than their sentence tariff with no prospect of getting into the, into the institutions or onto the courses that will help them reform and enable them to be safely released. Uh, I will bring uh, the individual cases the Honourable Gentleman has raised to the attention of the Prime Minister, but I think that what we need to recognise is that we need to take a tough approach to crime, and that's what we have done. The crime has fallen since we came into government, and more criminals are being caught and more are sent to prison for longer terms. And that's why we've increased the prison building programme, because as well as those who've committed offences being sent to prison, we need to try and make sure that while they are in prison, they are actually rehabilitated so that when they come out of prison, they don't commit further offences. Nigel Griffiths. Does uh, my right honourable friend show some concern about the loss of bursaries and grants to low-income students if the income of a new partner of their parent uh, is taken into account? And will she condemn the impact of this on thousands of students in Scotland as a result of Scottish National Administration oh. policy? Oh. Well, the, the, uh, the leader of the Scots Nats um, in Holyrood uh, doesn't turn up much in this house, although he continues to be uh, a member and, and, draw his, and draw his salary. But I did have the opportunity... I did have the opportunity of seeing him talking about this on television uh, earlier this week, and it's absolutely clear that he does not intend to keep his promises on student support. He does not intend to keep his promises on police numbers, and he doesn't intend to keep his policies on reducing class sizes. So scarcely a year after the election, why should anyone trust the NS SNP with any of their promises? Yeah. 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 
Uh, the Prime Minister knows, because I met him recently to discuss it, the second home purchases outstrip first-time buyers in my area by a factor of three, three to one. So can the leader tell the House how much it will cost this year to fund the capital gains tax breaks for second home purchases, and will she acknowledge that the thousands of families who are desperate to, to gain their first home will effectively contribute to that benefit through the abolition of the 10p rate? Yeah. Well, one of the, I will get the Chancellor to write to him with those specific figures, but one of the things that is very important for first-time buyers, in addition to the points that I made in reply to his right honourable friend, is that we need to have more house building in this country. And that's why we have brought forward our plans for eco-towns, and I hope that he, I hope that he and other honourable members who are concerned about the opportunities for first-time buyers will back up those plans. Senator McCarthy Fry. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. As we celebrate the 60th birthday of the NHS, will my right honourable friend join me in congratulating everybody who is celebrating their 60th birthday this year, including Fran Fox from Portsmouth? who not only shares the birthday of the NHS, but has also worked for the NHS for 40 years. Does my right honourable friend agree that the hard-working staff are the backbone of the NHS, and how does she think the NHS will best survive the next 60 years? I would like to uh, send my congratulations uh, through her uh, to Fran Fox, um, working in the health service in her constituency. And I think that the way that we can best ensure the future of the National Health Service is to ensure that we build on the commitment and dedication that the NHS staff have shown over many decades and that we help them carry on with their remarkable work. Mr Speaker, most um, coups take place when the leader is abroad, as my party is only too aware. Will, given the Prime Minister's absence today, what help does she need? Well, I think what we're concerned about is we're in government in order... He might be in Parliament to ask daft questions, but we're in government in order to understand, to understand, to understand that the concerns that families in every constituency are facing, to recognise the problems and address them, and that is what we are focused on, and that's what we will get on with doing. Mr Speaker, my right honourable friend will know that this week we are celebrating uh, 30 years of successful IVF. She will also know that this celebration is somewhat less than it should be because nice guidelines are not being put in place on fertility treatment. Only nine PCTs are putting them in place. Uh, shamefully, 143 are either offering less treatment or none at all. Will my right honourable friend do all that she can to ensure the full implement implementation of NICE guidelines, accepting, as every member of this House does, that all these people want is to have a happy family? Yeah. I congratulate my honourable friend for her work on, as chair of the all-party group. And what she's always made it clear is that 
it shouldn't be the case that you can only get treatment for infertility if you can afford it, and it's important for provision on the NHS. And we recognise that there are inequalities in provision, and we're monitoring PCT's provision, and this is something that we need to take forward. This is a matter of uh, people's rights to their family life, and it shouldn't be a postcode lottery. John Randall. Mr. Speaker, I've heard, like you, I'm sure many times, ministers, even the Prime Minister, saying that there will be no further expansion of Heathrow unless it meets these strict environmental um, uh, uh, limits. Perhaps the Honourable Lady can now tell us why her government is asking for a derogation on the air quality because they can't, they can't meet the air quality controls around London. friend, the Secretary of State for Transport, uh, reminds me that we have set out in a number of very detailed technical documents for public scrutiny and for consultation a range of issues including carbon emissions and air quality. Uh, we have received many uh, thousands of responses to that co consultation um, and will make a decision in due course. But I would have to say that in relation to the official opposition policy, it seems to me half of them are in favour of it because they want economic expansion, and the other half are totally against it. What we're doing is making sure that we build the economy and also protect the environment. Mr Speaker, members on all sides of the House will welcome the tough leadership that the Prime Minister has shown at the G8 on the issue of Zimbabwe. I believe that the House is united on that issue, but there are a number of Zimbabweans in Britain who are unable to return to Zimbabwe, but who have no source of income. Will she discuss with the Home Secretary whether it's possible to allow Zimbabweans trapped in Britain the right to work in order to earn an income before they return to Zimbabwe when that country is free? My right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, says she will be having meetings about precisely this issue this afternoon, but I can reassure my honourable friend that there will not be any forced removals to Zimbabwe during the current uh, situation. And further to that, uh, the Prime Minister has been leading on the question of seeking to ensure that the votes of people in Zimbabwe at the election, which has been denied by Robert Mugabe, the votes of the people of Zimbabwe will be respected. And following the discussions in G8, which has sent forward a very strong message about Zimbabwe, further action will be taken at the UN shortly. Why has this Labour government chosen to continue with the work of the previous Conservative government and this summer with its plans to decimate the post office network in the city of Edinburgh? Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to tell the Honourable Member that the previous government did not put one penny of public money into the post office network, so we have absolutely not continued the work of the previous government. On the contrary, what we have done is put £2 billion into the post office network already out of public funds and we will put a £1.7 billion more in order to sustain the important post office network. Anne Moffat. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, I'm sure that my right honourable friend will agree with me that Fathers for Justice do their case absolutely no good by the thuggery and the ridiculous actions that, that are taking place. 
Uh, would she and the rest of the House condemn them and say that they're never going to get their way if they behave in such a vile way? Yeah. Um, I thank my honourable friend for her comments and I agree with her. Peter Bottomley. Can I, on this side, associate ourselves with the remarks that have been made? National Health Service, the Labour Party was a third party to agree with the beverage proposal. Now the National Health Service probably employs more people than any other part-timers who are affected by the 10p tax rate abolition. When is the government going to make sure that part-time people, especially women, including those in the health service, get the compensation the Prime Minister indicated will come to them? The Chancellor has already, as the Honourable Member well knows, the Chancellor has already set out uh, the package for £22 million, which will help £2.7 billion, which will help 22 million people. Uh, And that not only goes to those people who did lose out uh, by the abolition of the 10p rate, but also goes more widely. And when it comes to low-paid workers, the thing that has most helped low-paid workers, particularly those who work part-time, was the national minimum wage, which he he voted against. Is my right honourable friend aware that many uh, working men's clubs uh, and other private clubs in all of our communities up and down the country are struggling, Uh, not least because of uh, recently passed well-meaning legislation which is nevertheless having a detrimental effect on their their operations. Would she agree to convene a meeting of relevant ministers to meet with the all-party group for clubs to discuss how we can keep these clubs as a force for good at the centre of all of our communities? I will agree to convene a meeting such as been proposed by my honourable friend. Uh, clubs are often at the very heart of their community and we want to uh, do everything that we can uh, to support them. In fact, probably what I might do is ask my right honourable friend, uh, the Secretary of State for uh, Communities and Local Government, to take forward that meeting. Order. Statement, Hazel Blair. Could honourable members leave the chamber quietly? For more discussion and analysis, download Guardian Daily. That's The Guardian's news podcast, available first thing in the morning, Monday to Friday. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.